0: Colossians chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, please show us Christ. Nothing else can satisfy us, nothing else can bring us to maturity, no one else can meet our deepest needs, heal our most painful wounds. Heal us of our most deadly diseases, only Christ. And so we need you. We know and we believe that your word reveals Christ to us. That's why we've opened it. And that's why we plan to spend the next minutes studying it. Lord, unless you open our hearts to receive it, we won't be changed. Lord, may our wills be ready to receive what you will speak to us, to obey it, to believe it, to live it out. And I pray that you would do a work in us that we can't do by ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yesterday, my family and I did one of the most delightful New Englandy things. We drove up Interstate 93. To see the beautiful leaves on the trees. How many of you have done that recently? You've seen the, you've seen the leaves? And we're, we're driving along and we're trying to catch these colors. It's like this fireworks. And uh, we're saying to our kids, hey are you looking out the window? Look at that! Look at that! And of course our kids are enjoying it too, and there's some stretches along the way where there are a lot of trees right along the the interstate, so you really can't catch a a broad grand view. But every once in a while you, you drive out and the interstate will open up along a valley and you'll look across that valley and you'll, your breath is almost taken away as you see the, the mountains spreading out before you blanketed in these oranges and yellows and reds. It's breathtaking. We were rounding a bend on the interstate at one point and uh, suddenly these cars started slamming their brakes on and pulling over to the shoulder. I think they are from Massachusetts or somebody. They were just like, they, they, were, they didn't know how to drive. We slammed on our brakes and we're like, what in the world? I think they're from Boston. Like they never, I don't know, do they never see trees? But they, as soon as we got around the, the corner, we realized what they were looking at. And it was this amazing view of the mountains. People were getting out of their cars and taking pictures at that breathtaking vista, the wide view of the mountains. That's what I hope to give to you Of the book of Colossians this morning. The wide view, the big picture because this Sunday is the first in our series in the book of Colossians and I am so excited about this as I've prayed and studied and read this book over and over again and read commentaries on it. uh, I, I think this will be something that for our church family will bring us into a a greater area of growth and depth in our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. The more I've studied this, the more I'm convinced that this is truly what we need for this time in the life of our church. So I want us to kind of pull over on the shoulder of the inner state of our minds right now. Stop our cars, get out and look. Be careful of traffic, but get out and look at this broad view of the book of Colossians. And unlike the leaves on the trees during this season, this view I hope will never fade from our vision. And unlike the colors of the trees right now, this study is actually going to extend into the winter months and maybe into the first few weeks of spring. We can delve deeply into the message of Colossians for us. And the reason why it is so breathtaking and the reason why it is so worth our Our extended attention is because the book of Colossians gives us this exalted view of who Jesus is. This is what Paul writes in the first chapter in verse 15. He's speaking of Christ and he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the creator of the mountains. He's the sovereign over the changing of the seasons and the color of the leaves. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. He came before anything else. He preexisted these ancient rocks and by him all things hold together and he is the head of the body, the church, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. This is our aim. This is our goal. Not just for this service and not just for all our worship services, but for our lives to exalt the only one who's worth being exalted and that is Jesus Christ. To to raise him up in our hearts and minds so that our affections are drawn to him. Nothing else will satisfy. Nothing else is sufficient. Jesus Christ alone is supreme and sufficient. And now since this is the first sermon in a series, I'm going to ask you to just engage your minds for a little bit, okay? Because for a few minutes, we need to get the framework of this book, of the Bible. Now, you may not be really big into frames, picture frames, That may not be your thing, but frames are helpful to be around a picture, okay? So, the historical background of the book of Colossians will be helpful for us to frame our understanding of what it is, alright? That's what we're going to do just in the first few minutes of this sermon. So, I'm going to ask you to engage your minds to understand and I think that this will be really fruitful for you in the coming weeks as we are able to dig into this book more effectively. And to begin with, consider, if you have opened to the book of Colossians, consider what kind of document you have in front of you. It's a letter, personal correspondence, communication from person to person. We, we often call this, letters in the New Testament, an epistle. It's an epistle. It's written by the Apostle Paul, who uh, was a former leader in Judaism he had been opposing Jesus Christ and committed his life actually to arresting the followers of Jesus until one day Jesus actually met him and Paul did this complete turnaround in which instead of opposing Jesus, he, he began preaching Jesus. And, and Paul began to plant churches. That is, he began to tell people about Jesus and as they turned to become followers of Jesus, they would organize themselves and meet regularly and Paul began those churches and he would then write letters to those churches And sometimes, letter writing was the only way he could communicate with them because Paul often found himself in prison because of his preaching. Like that actually put Paul in jail because he was preaching about Jesus and so what Paul would do in order to help the followers of Jesus in the churches that he had planted better understand who Jesus is and what he's done and who they are in their relationship with Jesus in order to help them better understand that he'd write a letter to them and send it by a messenger so that they would be confirmed in their faith and grow and understand who Jesus is. That's what Paul would do. He was an itinerant preacher, would travel around the region, Greece and, and what is now modern Turkey and he'd write these letters to these churches. And Colossians is one of those letters. It was a letter that he wrote from prison. We find that near the end of the epistle when Paul says, Remember my chains. Don't forget why I'm suffering. It's because of the good news about Jesus. So the letter to the Colossians is written by Paul from prison. It could have been written from Rome. Some people think it was written from Ephesus. It could have been in the fifties or sixties. We can't pinpoint precisely uh, when or which city, but we do know that it was written by Paul, and we have the text of that letter here in our New Testament. Now, why did Paul write Colossians? He had never been to the church in Colossae. He had never visited the church. We we find that in chapter 2. He says that I've never seen your face personally. How he knew about the Colossians was through a man named Epaphras who was the first person to preach the gospel to the Colossians. So Epaphras had preached the gospel. Many Colossians had trusted in Christ. They formed into a church and then Epaphras continued his travels and met Paul. came into contact with Paul again. And Epaphras had for Paul a report about the Colossian church. And in that report was some good news and some bad news. The good news we read about in the first chapter. We see in verse 7, Uh, Paul refers to Epaphras of, this is Colossians chapter 1 verse 7, our beloved and fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I've gotten good news from Epaphras. He's saying, you as a church are filled with faith in Jesus Christ and love for one another. And hope in Jesus Christ. And these are good things, but Epiphras also brought some news to Paul that concerned him. And this is the reason why he wrote the letter the bad news. What was the bad news? The bad news was this somehow, the Christians in the church at Colossae were being lured away from Jesus. As the source of their maturity. They were somehow being allured away from Jesus Christ. Someone was telling them Jesus is a fine place to begin your Christian life, but if you really want to be mature, if you really want wholeness, if you really want completeness, you need something else. That was what was going on in Colossae. People were saying, there's something else you need to know. There's something else you need to do. And there's other things that you need to deny yourself of. And Paul refers to these throughout the letter. Now, scholars throughout the years have tried to pinpoint exactly what the heresy in the church of Colossae was. But we can't know precisely. It's almost like listening to someone talk on the phone and trying to figure out exactly what the person on the other end of the line is saying. That's kind of what it's like when you read the letter, these epistles. It's like, we can see what Paul is saying to the Christians in Colossae, but we can't tell exactly what they were saying or the problem there unless Paul quotes them. In some cases, he actually does. He actually said some things that they're saying. Do not taste. Do not touch. Do not handle. In other words, Paul is saying the things that some people in church of Colossae are saying is that you can be spiritually mature by abstaining from certain things. And that's the problem that arose, the, the reason why Paul picked up his pen to write Colossians. So there you have it. That wasn't too bad, was it? The frame, the historical background for the book of Colossians. Now, here's what we're going to do. To give you that wide view of Colossians, to give you that breathtaking vista, I'm going to break it into three parts. So first of all, we're going to deal with the question that gave rise to the book of Colossians. And then the answer and then an appeal that Paul makes. Okay? And this is going to give us, I think, allow us to get our arms around, at least at the outset, in preparation for this series, the book of Colossians, Paul's letter to the Colossians. So first of all, the question. What was the question that was fomenting among the people and the church in Colossae? And here it is. The question was, where does true maturity come from? Where does true maturity come from? Where can we find genuine wholeness maturity? That's the question. And and we see this in a few places some were saying in Colossi, Does it come from strictly observing certain religious ceremonies? Does it come through some program of self-discipline? Does it come through human precepts and teaching? The question, where does maturity come from, was the main issue. And we see this also in some of the language that Paul uses. Look at chapter 1 verse 28. You see Paul refers to maturity when he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. What's the purpose of Paul's proclamation? Here it is: that we may present everyone what mature in Christ Jesus. All right. So there's this whole topic of maturity. What? is the source of true maturity, and Paul discusses this, he refers to it in the first chapter. We also see this in the end. You remember who the person was that first preached the gospel to the Colossians? It was this man named Epaphras. What do you think Epaphras is praying for the people of Colossae? What's his prayer for them? What's his longing for them? We read this in verse 12 of chapter 4. Epaphras, who was one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. What is he praying about? Look at verse 12. That you may stand, what? Mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So the question that was being discussed in the church of Colossae was where does true maturity come from? Now, let me just make it clear to you that this question is not just some outdated historical question. It's a very... It's a question that's very alive today. And let me try to explain this to you. People are still wondering, where does true maturity come from? After all, how can you escape the very idea of maturity? Like every living thing is progressing towards something. Has some goal. Some maturity. Some potential. Some realization of what we are meant to be. A couple weeks ago, I visited an apple orchard and I walked through these rows of apple trees just way down with these red, ripe apples. But you know what I learned about apple trees? It could take up to 10 years before they start bearing apples. And not until they bear apples can they be considered a mature apple tree. Well, what's an apple tree without apples? And that's what makes it mature, the fact that it's bearing fruit, the fact that it has apples on its branches. But but people are more complicated than apples, right? Than apple trees. What does it mean for a person to be mature? What does it mean for you to be who you're meant to be? What does it look like when you are living to your full potential? What does wholeness look like for you? That's the question. It's not a dead question. It's a live question. We feel it in ourselves. Just stroll into the self-help section of any bookstore. Have you done that? The self-help section. And every author and blogger and inspirational speaker has some different idea of what full potential looks like. And has some different path to full realization and being the you that you're meant to be. This is a very live question. It's not a, What I'm saying is not an ancient question, not an outdated question. It is an ancient question, but it's not an outdated question. It's a question that we wrestle with today. What, what will it take for me to be truly mature? There was one book that came across my attention just while I was preparing this sermon. The introduction of this book says this do you know who you really are and what you're capable of and it, the author goes on to explain how that we tend to set barriers for ourselves but that we could be so much more then the author goes on to claim that quote through my story you will learn what the mind and body are capable of when they're driven to maximum capacity and how to get there he goes on Quote, the steps laid out here in this book amount to the evolutionary algorithm, one that obliterates barriers, glimmers with glory, and delivers lasting peace. This is not a dead question. What will bring you to maturity? What will help you realize your full potential? People are writing about this. You feel this in yourself. People ask kids all the time. What do you want to do when? When you grow up. And then you grow up and you still wonder what you want to do. (laughs) And then you wonder, what was I supposed to be? Was I supposed to be this? Have I made a wrong decision somewhere along the path? I mean, we, we fantasize or idealize about the possibilities as young people and then life knocks us around and people hurt us. And we fail and others fail us. Bad things happen and the question that seems so exciting when we are young. What do you want to do when you grow up? You wonder what it means to be grown up. What does maturity look like? It's not an outdated question. This is a very relevant question. Where do we find true maturity? So that's the question remember? The question that they were facing. And and here is the answer. Okay. First the question. Now the answer. The answer that Paul gives. And this great truth that he trumpets forth. All throughout this letter is this. True maturity is found in Christ alone. True maturity is found in Christ alone. And remember the false teaching that was going on in the church there in Colossae. People were saying, oh. Oh. Jesus was a great place to start, but you really want to be mature? You really want to realize your full potential? You need to move on to something else. That was what's going on. They were saying that Christ just wasn't enough. There's a medical disorder that I've learned about. It's called PICA. P-I-C-A. People with this disorder have this Appetite for things that aren't food. It's, it's serious actually. It's uh, a a psych, can be considered a psychological disorder. The people with this disorder will eat things like hair or chalk or dirt. Things that have no nutritional value. For a variety of reasons and a lot of them are, are related to mental illnesses. They have this craving for things that won't nourish them and in secret and in shame people will take a bit of drywall or paint chips, put them in their mouths, chew and swallow. Now it's a good thing to have an appetite, right? But having an appetite doesn't mean that just anything will nourish you. I mean, the fact that you have an appetite for maturity, for wholeness... That you right now, sitting in your pew and listening, have some sort of craving that you would be what you're intended to be. It doesn't mean that just anything will work. Not just anything will satisfy your appetite for maturity, for wholeness, for completeness, for authenticity. There's only one place, there's only one person that can bring you to total maturity to be who you were intended to be and that is Jesus Christ. And taking other things in that don't nourish you doesn't help you, it hurts you. That's why Paul is saying you have to understand that you are complete in Christ. You don't need other things to satisfy you. You're not going to find meaning and, and, and wholeness and fulfillment in other things. It's like spiritual pica, putting things in your soul that don't nourish you. Paul is warning people against trying to find things apart from Christ to reach maturity. Knowing Christ is a fine place to begin, they would say, but there's something more you need to know. Paul calls this philosophy an empty deceit in chapter 2 and verse 8. They say Christ's work was a fine start. There's something more you need to do. Paul calls this human tradition in the same verse. This, this idea says obedience to Christ is good, but there's something more you need to deny yourself of. And Paul quotes this mantra of this idea saying, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, and insists that they have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Where does maturity, where does wholeness come from? It doesn't come from anywhere else except for Jesus Christ. That's the message of Colossians. And that explains why Paul... Writes as he does. And that explains the whole flow of the letter, which I hope to give you a glimpse of. Because at the very outset, in chapter 1 and verse 3, he begins by thanking God, telling the Colossians what he's thanking God for. What is he thanking God for? He is thanking God that the gospel came to the Colossians, that they believed in it, and that they're beginning to show signs of maturity. You look at this. It says in verse 6, of of chapter 1. The gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing, right? Bearing fruit. That's a sign of maturity, isn't it? And Paul is thanking God for this. He's saying, when I pray, I thank God that there are signs of maturity in your life. That's a thing to rejoice in. That's a thing to thank God for. But then that also explains what he goes on to pray for the Colossians about. Not only is he thanking them that God is, show, is working in their lives, bringing about your maturity, but he's also praying that that maturity would continue. And here's what I'm praying for you about, Paul says. I'm praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That it wouldn't just simply stop where it has been with bearing fruit, but that it would increase. That's what it means to be fruitful in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be mature in Jesus that's what Paul's praying. So, this whole idea that only in Christ do we find true spiritual maturity explains why Paul opens up with a thanksgiving and why he continues on with a prayer. And it also explains why he gives this glorious poem, which verse 15 begins a poem all about Christ. Why is, what is he doing here? He's exalting Jesus Christ... He's showing the Colossians that Jesus is the image of God. He is God Himself. And that Jesus brought everything into existence. And that Jesus continues to uphold everything by the word of His power. And that Jesus is the one who triumphed over sin and triumphed over all these powers that would trample you down. Jesus is is victorious, He's sovereign, He's supreme. Can't you find sufficiency in this one? Why would you look anywhere else? Why would you go to this self-made religion? Why would you turn to this list of rules, this list of do's and don'ts, when you already have within you Christ, the treasure, God's treasure? That's all you need. This explains also why Paul explains what his ministry is all about. What is it that so motivated Paul to make Jesus Christ the central focus of all his preaching? Why was he so motivated to do that? (laughs) Because when you preach Christ, you preach everything that people need for true spiritual maturity. That's why he said, we preach Christ warning everyone and teaching everyone in all wisdom. Why? Because as we do that, we may present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. Paul's saying, that's why I work so hard to tell you who Jesus is. That's even why I'm willing to be put in prison and I have chains wrapped around my wrists and ankles. Why? Because Jesus is the only source of true personal fulfillment, true maturity. That's why. Paul's saying, let me explain to you. This is why I'm suffering. Because Jesus is enough. I don't need comfort. I don't even need freedom because I have freedom in Christ. So, Paul, he thanks God for the Colossians. He prays for the Colossians. He explains his ministry to the Colossians. It's all because Jesus is the only source of true maturity. And that also leads us to the appeal. The appeal. So, the question that we talked about was where does true maturity come from? Where does wholeness, fulfillment come from? The answer is that true maturity is found only in Christ and that answer is the basis for the appeal that Paul gives beginning in chapter 2 and verse 6. Up to verse 5, actually verses 1, chapter 1 and 2 verse 5, all the way to chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul has been introducing his theme. He's been getting ready for it. It's been like one big wind up and now he delivers and here's what he delivers. Here's the appeal of the whole letter. If Jesus Christ is sovereign all over the universe, if he is Lord of creation, if he's savior, if he's the one that died for your sins and rose again, if he's the one through whom God is reconciling all things to himself, okay, you've received him as Lord and savior, okay, then just keep on walking in him. Just keep on living for him. Keep on discovering the riches to be found in Jesus Christ. That's the appeal. The appeal is to continue to mature in Jesus Christ. He says in verse 6 of chapter 2, "Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." So that's the answer. What's the question? Where do we find true maturity? The answer is Jesus Christ alone. And the appeal is an appeal for Christian maturity. Now, to be clear here, just because you know from Colossians that true maturity is bound in Jesus Christ alone, just because you know that, that's the answer. Jesus is the answer to everything, right? Okay? Just because you know that doesn't automatically make you mature that makes sense? Just because you know that true maturity is found in Christ alone doesn't make you automatically mature. Jesus is not a magic wand you wave. He's not a trinket. He's our treasure. It is not just that we discover this answer and realize, oh, is that what it's all about? Then I'm mature then. No, no. Here's what it's like. It might be something like this. So a, a ch- let's say a child is born into a very wealthy family and inherits millions and millions of dollars. All this money is at his disposal. The money, all he needs for the rest of his life belongs to him. But that child's ability to benefit from that wealth depends First, and most basically, on his knowledge that he has it. That this is, this belongs to him. And he has to understand the value of it in order to benefit from him. And he has to be convinced that it's really his. And he has to avoid people who would try to trick him into exchanging what's really valuable for something that's not valuable. And in the same way, just knowing that Jesus Christ is the answer to our question, where do we find true maturity? It, it, that just because we know that the answer doesn't mean maturity is automatic. It means that our entire life must be filled with drawing out the implications of this treasure. That's why Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Step after step after step, we learn what it is to live a life in the fullness of Jesus Christ and all he's done for us. That's why Paul goes on to explain throughout the the rest of chapter 2 to avoid things that would delude us into thinking that Jesus isn't enough because there are things all around us that will do that. That's why he goes on in chapter 3 to say, knowing that Jesus is your treasure, knowing that he is the source of true maturity, it means a radical rearrangement of your priorities. It means a radical rearrangement of your relationships. It means a radical rearrangement of your virtues. You become a different person. You have different sets of values and priorities. And everything that you, the way that you interact with other people changes completely. And Your whole life will be a life of learning what that means for you to draw on the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. And here we see a contrast between this approach to maturity and every other approach. Every other approach to finding your full potential or finding out what you're intended to be and becoming that tends to fall on one of two sides. Either they will say that maturity is something outside of you that you need to attain or it's within you that you need to discover. Like you define your own identity. The message of Colossians and the Christian message tells us that it is both outside and within. Outside because it comes from Jesus Christ and not ourselves. And within because Jesus comes and dwells within us. That is the mystery That Paul talks about in chapter 1. Christ in you the hope of glory. In Christ we have everything we need and the Christian life is not a life of self-discovery nor of self-achievement but of Christ discovery based on Christ's achievements. That's what the Christian life is. It's not a process of self-discovery. It's not a process of self achievement. It's a process of discovering Christ and what he has achieved for us. And so Paul urges his readers don't fall prey to anything apart from Christ. Chapter 2, verse 17, he says, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. One of the things that I love when I come home from work, my wife and kids will greet me at the door imagine what would it be like if instead of running up to me and giving me a hug, they looked down and saw my shadow and said, Daddy, and tried to hug that. A shadow. It's not the substance. At best, it has a mere outline. But there's nothing to it. All these other things that vie for our attention, that would lure us away from Christ. It may perhaps provide some vague outline, but the substance, my friends, belongs to Christ. That's what Christian maturity is. It's finding in Christ our treasure. And what this looks like for you and me, this looks like learning more about who Jesus is and seeing how who Jesus is connects with the way we live. That's what it means to grow in Christ-likeness. And that's what the message of the book of Colossians is about. That true maturity is found in Christ alone. And I think this is an important series for us as a church. I think it's going to impact our testimony to the community. Because as we find our growth in Christ, that is going to make us like a lighthouse like a beacon in a dark place. And I think it's important for you personally. How many, how many things do you tend to find yourself craving for, for fulfillment outside of Jesus Christ? This message of the book of Colossians is something we all need and something that we'll have the joy of exploring and looking into in the months to come let me urge you with this. What is it that you are seeking wholeness, maturity, in besides Jesus Christ? Whatever it is, it's false nourishment. It can't satisfy. In Jesus Christ alone are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge.